Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 121 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Ben Henderson, the founder of Cautionary Comics. Are you sick of comic book titles bombarding you with woke messages? Ben's titles do nothing of the sort. It's all about escapism. Imagine that's a, that's a subversive notion in 2019. Crazy. You know, the HitCast talks about free speech a lot, censorship and other issues from time to time, for sure. But since we last spoke, things got ugly fast. YouTube, sparked by an aggressively woke and thin-skinned Vox.com scribe, went on a tear this week. People like Steven Crowder found their channels demonetized, which is kind of a killer move for someone who gets a huge audience. They need that money. Now, Steven Crowder is not going to get it, at least for the time being. We'll see if things change. But other videos and other video makers got caught up in the sweep, too. It wasn't just conservative people, but, of course, he is the main person. He's also the main reason why this all happened. Now, if you want to look up Nazi Germany or some other historical videos, you may not find it, or those videos may not make any money because they got caught up in this whole trap, too. Nice job, YouTube. Major platforms are clearly running scared. They're blocking people, punishing people, anyone who doesn't share the right thoughts and feelings. And by right, I certainly don't mean conservative. It's complete opposite. If you're not even the, the group think, you've got problems. And I've actually thought about that myself. I, I wonder if some of my messages on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, what if they get banned? What if they kind of cause the people to kind of want to report me for any reason? What defense do I have? I'm just a solopreneur and there's many people just like me trying to survive, trying to get their message out on the different platforms and it's getting harder and harder. It's pretty scary stuff. Now, the media, of course, they're no help. They're not going to raise any alarms about this. And heck, they just keep telling us, hey, we're living in the Handmaid's Tale. Meanwhile, we're stuck in George Orwell's 1984. They don't seem to notice. And of course, Hollywood, what are they doing? Silence or nothing. Are they giddy about conservatives being you know, pushed off our platforms? Are they, are, they, are they afraid to say anything? We don't really know. Either way, it's a pretty bad luck. And again... As I've said before, history will not look kindly on their inaction and their lack of outrage. So what comes next? Well, without the cultural pushback, you'll see more and more people getting deplatformed, having their videos demonetized. This is not going to stop. This is going to go quicker and quicker. The media is not going to help. Hollywood's not going to help either. I'm actually considering leaving my personal Facebook page. What they did recently by giving up some information about someone who dared to put up a meme critical of the Democrats, well, that was outrageous. They shared that information with a journalist. The journalist shared that information with the world. All of a sudden, this per person who just put out a couple of goofy videos is under attack. Why? Because he picked the wrong target. That's just awful. So if I pop away from Facebook in the next few weeks, that's why. I've also signed up for Parler.com. That's P A R. L-E-R. It's like Twitter, but they don't kick people off as quite as regularly as Twitter does. So that's another possible solution. But of course, these things don't happen overnight. It's going to take months and months, if not years, for something like Parler to really compete with Twitter. It may never get there, but 
if these platforms respect free speech, we have to embrace them. We have to support them. But one thing is really important to note here. To me, and maybe this is my tinfoil hat speaking, I think this is all about Trump. This is about defeating the GOP in 2020. And the more people can get pushed off of social media that's, that are on the right, or the people who are like me, maybe just too afraid to send certain messages across these social media platforms, well, maybe that's the real goal. And by the way, a quick side note. Last week's episode, we talked about FBI Lovebirds Undercovers. It's a play that's going to be happening in mid-June in Washington, D.C. This is Fella McAleer's play that looks at the the texts between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. They're the FBI agents who had a romance and also seem to be crafting some sort of strategy to defeat Donald Trump. Now, these are FBI agents, mind you, and they're working against a candidate? Crazy. Now, the play is just going to consist of those texts from people back and forth, back and forth, two actors, Dean Cain and Christy Swanson, playing those specific FBI agents. But there was an alleged threat of violence, and the theater, the Mead Theater in D.C., decided to shut things down abruptly. So what I did was I reached out to different theatrical groups across the country. Hey, what do you think about this? Is this the right way, the wrong way? Isn't this a, a clampdown on free expression? Is this a bad thing to uphold? Do you understand what the theater was going through? Just through some basic, simple questions. I really wanted their answers. I reached out to 14, 14 different theatrical groups. Didn't get a single answer. I, I have to say, I knew it was happening. I knew it was coming. And I'm still shocked. But please, tell me again how the creative community defends free speech. I'll wait. Haverty's Furniture is here to help you get your home all set for the new year so you can set the stage with more style, set the bar more beautifully, and set a more show-stopping table. Let's set some time aside to settle in on a new sofa together because being at home shouldn't mean having to settle for less. And Haverty's Furniture can help you start the new year off right at their holiday savings event so you can create the perfect setting. And right now, everything's on sale store-wide. Here's the hit tweet of the week. You know, Henry Winkler will always be Fonzie to me and probably to a lot of people in my generation, but he's also known as one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. That's not so bad. Yet even Henry Winkler can't stop from dabbling in divisive politics. Now, his recent tweet, which I'm going to read in a moment, it isn't as hardcore cruel as something that Rob, Rob Reiner or, or Chelsea Handler might say, but it's a little bit incoherent, but see what you think. Do we talk so much about war now because it would change the subject for our president? Or have we just enjoyed too much peace? Huh. Hey, Fonzie. Maybe events like D-Day just remind us that we're grateful for the greatest generation. Uh, I could be spitballing here. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast. The right take on entertainment. The HitCast wants to support right-leaning artists in any way possible. So this episode marks a new feature for the show, the Hit Artist Spotlight. We'll be interviewing creators who may not be nationally recognized yet, but that could change, especially with little support from you. Why do these people start creating in the first place? What roadblocks are standing in their way? How does their conservatism impact their craft and how they market their material? Our first spotlight subject is C.E. Smith. He's a doctor and the author of an intriguing new novella called Rex. 
He's like many people who have dreamed about writing someday and completing a whole story, but he actually did it. Heck, that's more than I can say. I hope you enjoy my conversation with a rising artist, C.E. Smith. Well, C.E., glad that you made it on the show. Happy to talk to you. I wonder, maybe you can introduce yourself briefly, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get right into Rex and your writing career. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is C.E. Smith. I'm a, I'm a physician. I uh, specialize in radiology, neuroradiology, and I'm a writer on the side. Uh, I have a, a novel called Brother's Keeper, uh, which was published in the UK, and a, a, a new one, a new book called Rex. It's a novella uh, published uh, published just, just this week. And have you always been writing, even as a younger person? What, how did this kind of evolve for you? Yeah, I knew from a real early age that I wanted to be a writer. I studied English in college, uh, worked, uh, got a master's in English, uh, and uh, worked in L.A. as a script reader for a time before deciding to go to medical school. And uh, even in med school, I always uh, had an interest in uh, writing. I was always interested in the connections between uh, literature and medicine and uh, viewing my work in medicine as kind of fuel for fiction. Um and obviously, I'm I'm so busy with work and family. I have three kids. I don't have a lot of time, not as much time as I would like to write fiction. But, uh, you know, if you kind of plug away for long enough, uh, you uh, can occasionally finish something. So Nice. That's, that's inspiring. I've got two kids. I know, I know the feeling. Talk a little bit about Rex. I read the description. I have not checked out the full novella yet, but it sounds like a yeah. really fun Hollywood culture clash, kind of right up my alley. But just... Give us a little uh, description and, and why the story in particular intrigued you. Yeah, no doubt. I, well, uh, Rex, the title character, is uh, is a defrocked uh, pastor with Parkinson's disease who uh, whose daughter is a movie star. And uh, she uh, unfortunately becomes embroiled in a, in a kind of Hollywood scandal, a tabloid scandal. And uh, he has to make his way in... Uh, uh, among the, uh, people in the movie industry. Um, I, uh, you know, have an interest in, he, he in, uh, in religion and faith mm-hmm. and, uh, his experiences in that, uh, come into, uh, come into play. Um, I'm also interested in, uh, obviously, uh, uh, medicine, medical issues. And so is Parkinson's disease. My mom had Parkinson's disease. And so, uh, um, I, uh, drew a lot from that experience and uh for the satirical uh elements related to the movie industry uh i had to think back on the time i spent uh working out there um reading scripts and have a lot of friends who work in the industry and so it was a lot of fun to uh uh i hope i didn't go too far with the caricatures i didn't mean for it to be uh entirely satire but uh sometimes you can't help it right Sometimes you can't help it. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to caricature. That's for sure. Gotcha. So the book came out last month, so it's still pretty new. Wh- what are you doing at this point to help spread the word? Obviously, we're talking right now about it, but is that sort of another part of the process? Is hey, it's not enough for me to get the book out there. Now I have to kind of let people know about it. Talk about yeah. that challenge and what you've done so far. <laughs> well, yeah, my marketing campaign is is so far limited to uh, emailing friends and families, uh, friends and family, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, I can talk to some more people like you. Uh, and I have, they, you know, really, actually, the the official release date was Monday, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I'm just getting started. We'll see. Maybe I'll do 
be able to do some readings, uh, uh, in the local bookstores. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Hoping for the best. <laughs> you know, I think there's almost everyone says I've got a book in me. I want to write, I want to do this. I've got the great American novel just in my head and it never happens. And now you've written several books at this point. When, when you complete the process, is there sort of a, uh, you learn something about yourself for, no matter how the book comes out. What, what is that feeling like? Cause I think a lot of people think about it, never get there. And since you've gone the whole journey, I was kind of curious your reaction to, you know, doing more than dreaming about it. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I, I've more often than not, I, I uh, don't get there. I've, I've, uh, finished a few, uh, mm-hmm. books, uh, some, some published, but I've started a lot more than that. Uh, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, sometimes I don't think I have the patience to make it through, but when I do, and I feel like I've, uh, worked out all the problems in a way, uh, you know, there's, there's an incredible satisfaction in that. Um, it's like, uh, finishing a race, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's why you do it. There's just a profound, uh, uh, satisfaction in, uh, in finishing something and feeling like you've done it, uh, as well as you can. Yeah. I've talked to some conservatives who make art that is strictly apolitical. They just want to have escapism, you know, give people pleasure reading it. Other people want to have maybe a bit of a message in their in their stories. Where yeah. do you think that Rex falls, and and does that sort of maybe kind of uh, capture your take on creating art like this? Yeah, I, I tend, you know, I, I think when you when you get politics into into fiction, you, you run the risk of becoming more like a pamphleteer, you know, of course, you know, you can't, you can't ignore people like George Orwell who've done this really well. Uh, uh, but I tend to avoid, uh, uh, politics, explicit mm-hmm. politics. Uh, my, my, you know, I think I'm tackling enough with religion. Uh, I really kind of work, I work my faith into these, into these stories. And there's obviously a lot of overlap between uh, religion and politics, but, mm-hmm. but I, you know, it's I, I'm I'm more interested in the spiritual side, and uh, but you know that marks me as a conservative for sure. You know, I can't all, all, everything I write is permeated with ideas of redemption and sin, mm-hmm. grace, uh, our relationship with God, belief, and uh, you know I think our culture more and more is uh, uh, falling in line with the sort of. Uh, 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 worldview of, uh, secular materialism, mm-hmm. uh, where there's no meaning behind anything. Uh, and I just can't stand that nihilism. I can't, I, I see it in, uh, so many of the movies and TV shows and books, uh, I read, read these days. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, my work is, if, if nothing else, it, it, uh, offers something different from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these characters in Rex where you could revisit them with another novel or novella, or is it sort of this is this is done? My next project may be something wildly different. Yes, my next pro- project probably will be something wildly different. Uh, the, the things I'm working on are wildly different, but I do have other uh, stories uh, unpublished, uh, you know, with these with these characters. Um, it uh, it might be that I, I I revisit them and make something of it if if people like this book maybe I will. Uh, gotcha. But uh, yeah. One last question. I, I kind of alluded to this before. There's always the people who want to write the book, right? Want to do something, and they never do it. Is there sure. anything 
maybe from a motivational point of view that you can share that kind of puts you over the edge that didn't stop you at any point, but you actually completed it. What's, what's the difference between your approach and maybe other people's approaches? I think that, I mean, the best advice I ever got was, was to uh, write an hour a day and to do it in the morning before anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, for people of faith, the morning is a time for, uh, devotions, but, uh, uh, I've, you know, developed a habit a long time ago of just writing for an hour every morning. And, uh, you know, the stuff comes along slowly and, and it, and it, uh, gestates in your mind for the, uh, rest, the remaining uh, 23 hours of the day, I, I guess. Uh, but, uh, for that one hour, you have to just be, you know, you have to be actively writing, even if it means just looking at a blank screen. That was the best advice I ever got. And, and it got me through, uh, a lot of pages over uh, many, many years. Uh, my work schedule didn't allow it so much now or the, the three little kids. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's all, that's the best advice I ever got. Well, it's simple, but good advice. So words on the page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right then. Well, C.E. Smith, thank you so much for sharing some time with us. The new novella is Rex. Check it out right now. There'll be links on the show notes page at hollywoodintoto.com and Keep up the work, keep up the writing, and I love your spirit, I love your enthusiasm, and don't quit. I think that's the biggest thing. I've heard that a lot about podcasting. You know, people start it, they get a few episodes under their belt, and they're done. I'm not quitting, and I hope you're not quitting too. CE, thanks again. Thank you. I'm Patrick Corelci. And I'm Adriana Cortez, and we're the hosts of Red Pilled America, a new storytelling podcast. Red Pilled America is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the elites ignore. You can think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing, the truth. Visit the iHeartRadio app right now to listen to Red Pilled America. My hit tip of the week is the other F word. Now, calm down. It's not quite what you think. This is a documentary about what happens to punk rockers when they settle down, put the guitars down, and start a family. Well, the same thing that happens to most of us. They become daddies, and suddenly they're not so cool anymore. I know that feeling. That's just part of the reasons why the other F word is such a treat. The film interviews a bunch of rock and roll types who had to shift gears, sometimes pretty dramatically, after becoming fathers. It's sweet and funny. It's a real testament to the transformative power of fatherhood. Now, the next time you're at a playground, you see a tatted-up dad kind of pushing his kid around gently or saying, good job, good job, you might be reminded of this documentary. The other F word is streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Ben Henderson loves comic books, but he's burned out by modern titles that are obsessed with progressive politics. Get woke, go broke? Well, it's happening to some pretty big titles, but he's sick of it. Just tell us a story. That's why we're reading comic books in the first place. Let us get lost on the experience. He figured he wasn't alone with that frustration. That's why he created Cautionary Comics. The new lineup, including titles like Kill All Men and Offworlder, put the focus on fun grindhouse stories that grab you by the scruff of the neck. That's what matters. Ben shares how he retrofitted years and years worth of his own screenplays into the ultimate shared universe. Take that, MCU. He also talks about the current state of the comic book industry and so much more in his latest HitCast interview. 
Here's my chat with Ben Henderson. All right. Well, Ben, thanks for joining the show. You know, I was reading a little bit about cautionary comics and this one quote from Mike Barron, your colleague, really did jump out at me. I thought it was interesting. He said, you'll be hard pressed to find a conservative message or any political message in a cautionary comics title. And I thought that might be kind of a fun place to start is maybe you can expand on that and what, because it almost seems uh, bizarre in 2019 that any artist <laughs> would even say that, but obviously it's a key part of your mission. So Dig into that a little bit. What can you share sure. about that element of cautionary comics? Yeah, a- absolutely. So the the main mission when we started cautionary a couple of years ago now, uh, I founded the company uh, really to get my collection or uh, of stories out into the market just to see it made. You know, this is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, I've written screenplays for many, many years and books and short stories. And then from 2006 to 2016, I really, I crafted them into one shared universe. So 50 titles all connected together in a pure comic book universe. And I I wanted to get back to those, you know, what I call pure comics, which really focused on escapism, you know, your enjoyment as a customer, you know, not to get in the way, not to have any politics or any agendas getting in the way of the story. So what we focus on, the four axioms, the four pillars of cautionary is story, character, action, and fun. And that's all that our comics are going to have. The best art, the best new adventures, amazing new characters that people, hey, if you're going to give us $5 for some enjoyment, uh, you know, we're going to give you escapism, you know, take you out of the rat race of the day to day. And, you know, part of that is being inundated with political messaging. Uh, you know, I think we've seen that in our entertainment too much. Definitely lately, but I would say over the past 10 years, and we wanted to be something different. You know, we, we've collected comics, you know, we've made comics. And when I say we, it's the cautionary comics team, uh, the founders, myself, Chuck Dixon, Mike Barron and Brett R. Smith. And, you know, we agree. We wanted to get back to the, that really that standpoint of pure comics. And we feel we've done that. We have many more to come. So we're excited to be doing it. It's, I can I can feel the excitement, so I, I appreciate that. One thing you also said in other interviews that you said it's got an eighty style in some of the titles that you're working on. Uh, can you tell me what you know? I'm a kid of the '80s, so that immediately uh, connected to me. But it, it, how would you describe that that tone? Because I think there is a very specific '80s tone that is different than other decades, and I think it's often something that we keep going back to, and I think that's a good thing. Me too. Me too. I mean, from from entertainment to music to comics, you know, whatever it is you're looking at, the entertainment from my perspective, you know, and some of it's nostalgia, right? A lot of people are, but but I I can think objectively and I can point to specific examples in movies and comic books where it's really changed from the, you know, let's just take comics, right? That's where we're at. You know, Mike Barron it, uh, had a, has a great line about our stories and, and, and stories in general that the comics have to grab you by the throat from the cover to page one to panel one as it moves on, right? It's focused on action. It's focused on adventure, intrigue, drama, horror. What, what you see a lot today are, very slow moving talky pieces that try to get out a polit- political message and you know that's not the way it was in the 70s and 80s you know when you know there was really a height from my perspective and it goes back further than that but you know comics movies music it used to be primarily about escapism for the customer you're going to trade some of your hard earned money to use your precious free time to enjoy something and 
You know, we want to make it where that's as enjoyable to you, not us feeling like we've got some message across to you. Nobody wants to be lectured to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Nobody does. Yeah. Especially when you're when you just want to relax. Yeah. Good point. Uh, I know this is like picking one of your children. You can't pick just one, but uh, let's let's highlight one cautionary comics title and just give us kind of a sneak peek and kind of whet our appetites about why it's fun, why it's different, why it's action packed. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll talk about just a couple. You know, the first one we went to market with was Ravage, Kill All Men. And that's about two army veterans that crash into a mystical jungle populated by a lost tribe of warrior women that hunt and kill men. So the guys have to figure out a way to adapt or, or die trying. And, uh, you know, that's uh, the one that uh, I co-wrote with Chuck Dixon. It's based on my original screenplay. And it's just been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of reaction to it. Uh, we were worried. At, <laughs> when I, me and the artists, when we first launched it, we set our goal for about... 5,000 and uh, we got 50. So, so you know, that was, that was pretty great. We were, we were really happy about that. Then up next is the Offworlder, the protector of Sa-Ra. It tells the tale of a 7th century Scottish warrior, a lord in Scotland, Henry Gunn, as he leads his clan in a ferocious battle with Vikings. But as you know, they're about to be victorious, he's ripped from time and space by an alien race that need a warlord to help them fight another alien race from conquering all known space. So he becomes a, a, a troubled demigod, you know, kind of in the tradition of, uh, you know, Silver Surfer. Uh, it's a star spanning, big, big saga, and it connects to all other 50 stories. So that one is offworldercomic.com, mm -hmm. and uh, it's coming next. You know, Ben, I think you missed your calling. I think this was the 1970s. You should be doing Grindhouse movie commercials. Because you got you got that great energy and excitement and passion for this material, I love it. Uh, you know, you one of my favorite words. So part of my and and honestly, uh, uh, Brett Smith, uh, no, not Brett, Mitch Breitweiser, my buddy Mitch Breitweiser said, "Man, your scripts are like a combination of St Spielberg and Grindhouse." There you go. And I I love that. I love that because that's kind of yeah, that's me. You know. Well, one of the things I wanted you to do for me and for our listeners is. What's going on in the comic book business today? I read stories. I hear snippets. I'm not actively engaged in this arena, and you are. So, you know, I, I, this could be like a, a, an hour conversation. We don't have that time. But just give us kind of a snapshot of what's happening in the business where you need a cautionary comics just to entertain. Can you boil it down for us? Sure, absolutely. I, I think it's really symptomatic of the larger entertainment industry all over, you know, whether it's entertainment news, quote unquote news or uh, movies that it's really now driven from an ideological perspective, a political perspective. It's not about entertainment. It's about getting approval from a peer group that only exists maybe in New York and, and LA, right? Uh, you know, the, uh, Marvel used to, the big line, the big mantra for Marvel was, we're going to write what we see outside our window. Well, their windows are now big high rises in New York and LA. <laughs> so, so they don't really relate to everyday people. Uh, you know, that's, and I really noticed that, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I've been a collector for 20 years. My father got it in, you know, got me uh, started and it's something we enjoyed as a family growing up. And, uh, you know, I was really excited to pass that on to my children. Uh, me and my under, oldest son were going to, to comic shops and the stories were just really, you know, number one, they weren't fun. 
Number two, some of them were just flat out inappropriate for, for children and they weren't labeled that way. And then, you know, in the comic shop, which, you know, in the 80s, it used to be a very communal place. Everybody was welcome. It was very, you know, friendly and opening. Well, you know, now if you don't have the right uh, political agreement or if you just stay neutral, you know, you often get uh, harassed. In, 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 in these spaces, whether it's you're trying to create in Hollywood or you're trying to go to a comic shop or you're trying to play, you know, music, whatever it may be. So we wanted to, you know, really get out there. And when I saw this happening, you know, number one, I figured I knew the, what I was writing. I've been to I went to school at Duke Ellington School of the Arts for writing. I took a uh, UCLA class and, you know, I uh, showed my writing around. because I figured it has to be better than a lot of what I was seeing, you know, just honestly. And uh you know, a lot of the pros agreed that I was talking to, and uh, now we're collaborating and launching a brand new universe. Gotcha. Was there ever an impulse along the, I guess, the, along the creative path to write more right of center political, or was that sort of not really your mission at all at any point? Well, so it was really just to tell my stories, you know, uh, honestly. I mean, the basis of these stories were like grindhouse flicks I wrote in the 80s and 90s. Right. So I, I had a couple of approaches from that. You know, first, it was actually three. First, um, you know, I got, uh, you know, people saying, hey, look, those are great movies. You know, and I, and I actually owned a, a film uh, studio. We were optioned by um, Shoreline Entertainment, Morris Ruskin, that made Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And, uh, you know, ultimately, a couple of those movies, they didn't really take off. But, um, you know. But, yeah, you know, so it wasn't really a political ideological thing, however, Two things happened when I launched Ravage Kill All Men. The first thing was a lot of people on the far left said, wow, this is a great comic. We, we also want to kill all men. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll just read the story. Then, then on the other side, some on the far, far right were saying, yeah, you know, this is definitely an attack on third wave feminism. And it, and it does have some of those elements, but it's really a character study of men and women. It's a, 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 the moral of the story is that all men and all women have to work together for the world to keep spinning. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It's just a, it's just a simple, straightforward story. Um, it, it doesn't really fit on politics. It doesn't, you know, it, it wasn't my agenda anyway. People can read into it whatever they'd like. But my main overarching goal is, hey, you know, you give us 3 to $5, you're a comic book collector, we're going to make you entertain for that that time that you that you spend with us. Gotcha. The fact that you and your colleagues want to go back to that, it almost sounds subversive, this whole let's just entertain and provide escapism. Do you get the sense that maybe even in the uh, the, the big, I guess the, the, the Marvels and the DCs, is there is there someone or some, I guess, spirit wanting to go back to that as well? I mean, do you think that you could be ahead of the curve in a certain way? At the big companies, I, I you know, I don't think so. Personally, I mean, look at, uh, you know, how Disney has reacted to political changes in the states. You know, they don't react that way to foreign governments that often, you know, do very terrible things. So the reason that they said they they do that is because their staff is all ideologically on one side. There mm -hmm. There isn't really diversity there. <laughs> you know, they say it's diversity, but it's really not. You have to say the same things, think the same things, dress the same way. And it's boring. You know, honestly, it's boring. Uh, you know, so my, my answer is no. I, I guess I don't think they're going back to that. Mm -hmm. um, however, I see a lot of pros leaving the big two, starting their own indie comic labels, their own indie comic properties, which any Anybody can do with crowdfunding and creating better stuff than any of the quote unquote corporate entertainment 
can produce, right? Because it's boring. It just doesn't have that flavor of life when, you know, I mean, like if you, yeah, imagine if you had a, when you had a band that you loved, you know, before they became big and then they got big, right? Corporate influence to me always takes away that pureness of the art. That's just my opinion. And, you know, we want to bring it back to that pureness of the art that, you know, everybody today is really not everybody, but lots of people are making comics or even short TV shows online, hoping to audition for Hollywood. We decided with Chuck Dixon and Mike Barron and myself and Brett, we want to make pure comics. We don't care if they ever get made into a movie or TV show or anything. They stand alone for what they are. Mm -hmm. But if they did and if Hollywood did come calling where do you think is the best fit for you? Do you see like an, a Netflix limited series? What, what would be sort of a nice kind of uh, collaboration between some of your titles and, and the visual medium like Hollywood? Honestly, I, I think maybe that's something my kids will have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, I just, you know, because I'm very torn on the subject. Would I want it to be widely viewed? Yeah, I would, you know, would I, I guess, you know, let me take a step back. I think what I would like, it would be, a uh, they would be turned into maybe smaller productions, you know, mm-hmm. five and million dollar movies, something that could actually be, you know, edgy and, yeah. and, and cool again. Remember when like Tarantino did Reservoir Dogs, it was like a $5 million, $10 million, but maybe something like that. But it was cool, you know, not the big studios weren't going to make that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a producer, Lawrence Bender said, you know what, man, I see your vision. Let's rock and roll. There is something so, glorious about that kind of guerrilla filmmaking, that style that, hey, we don't have yeah. a lot of money. We're going to improvise in the set. We're going to make it up as we go along. But we've got the passion. We've got the heart. And we're just going to let things go and see what happens. And often great yeah. things do happen. Love it. And even, you know, hey, we got everything scripted out, you know, characterization, backstory, everything to build from. So, you know, it would really just be creative ways to get it onto the screen. Um, but honestly, that's just not my my focus. I just want to make the comics as wonderful as they can be mm-hmm. they're they're all written written as a five issue arc so because uh, i originally made them a screenplays they're all uh, th- the truth is all of the stories have a screenplay equivalent that i that i wrote years ago gotcha when you think about you're a writer uh you're in the comic industry now and you're an entrepreneur as well what's been some of the biggest learning lessons of that journey because it ain't easy uh Man. i kind of left steady gigs behind in the past and now i'm gonna i'm, I'm a I guess you can say the hip word is solopreneur, but from your yeah. perspective, what, what's been, what's jumped out to you about this whole process? And it could be good. It could be bad. It could be in between. I think, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, naive in a way, I guess everybody starting a new venture is naive when they start, but I was naive a couple of years ago on, you know, how long the art would take to make, you know, getting everything right with the printer, finding the right fulfillment company, dealing with shipping, you know, we, we're doing, you know, everything end to end. And we were actually looking to outsource some of our distribution that didn't work out exactly the way we wanted, at least for fulfillment, not really distribution. So we brought in another, a new team, um, but basically, it's a temp team, but we're going to do the fulfillment in-house so we have better quality control for the next Indiegogos. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know that, that's that's where we're going from. I guess the other thing is, uh, you know, that I'll tell your audience is, hey, if you got a dream, if you got an idea, try to crowdfund it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might think, oh, nobody's going to like that or nobody's going to buy it. Well, if that's what you think, you're right. right get out there and advocate for it you know like tell everybody why your stuff is cool do you think that's i mean you have some names behind you uh chuck dixon kind of jumps out obviously but uh, are there any sort of lessons for people who maybe are starting their first crowdfunding 
endeavor. Maybe they're new. Maybe they're in their 20s. Maybe they just don't have a lot of sort of background, but they, they have a plan. They have a skill. They have a, a dream. What, what kind of advice would you give them? couple things. Right now, right now, do not pay money for advice on how to crowdfund. There's some shysters out there that have not run any successful campaigns themselves, but are going around saying, hey, you know, we're going to teach you this. Uh, and But give us 500 bucks or something like that. You know, yeah. not just look at what people did before. Go on to YouTube. Everybody's taught. Listen to podcast. Listen to this. You know, mm -hmm. uh, everybody's talking about what the what the things are. So, you know, a couple of things to keep in mind, you never get a second chance to make the first impression, right? So make sure your Indiegogo or Kickstarter that the, you know, you have a video, right? Everybody watches videos this day, these days, keep it tight, 30 seconds and pitch your story. Uh, number two, create your log line, right? My log line is two army veterans crash into an uncharted jungle populated by a lost tribe of warrior women that hunt and kill men. That's my elevator pitch for Ravage, nice. you know? So, so, you know, try to get that down, get it concise. Then... Maybe find a partner for that that's an artist. You know, that if you're a writer, you know, find a partner that's an artist. If you're an artist, look for partners that are writers. They're out there, you know. Then get the best art you can and look at Indiegogos that have been been, been, been successful and follow it. Mm -hmm. Right? Follow that model. That's yeah. Great tips. I appreciate that. Before we let you go, Ben, uh, let's flash forward 10 years. Cautionary Comics is still raring to go, still putting out different titles. Where do you see this line going? What what what's sort of your best case scenario for cautionary comics in a decade? My best case scenario is that I have as many of my fifty titles produced as possible. Mm -hmm. that, that that they're at least out there for consumption. You know, how many can I do in a decade? I'm not sure now because you know right now it's one crowdfunding campaign a quarter, so that's four titles we can launch a year. And then of course I'm going to be doing you know uh, you know issues two, three, four, and five. I've written all of the stories in a five-axe, uh, you know, mini arc, five-issue five, five structure. Um, so I at least want to get those all out. Um, I think maybe in ten years we're, we might be in a position where we will put out a whole graphic novel quarterly, like the European style. I quite like that, and you get to ingest, you know, the full story sitting right there. And uh, I think that's where we're heading. Excellent. Well, I think you're in the right direction for sure. Thanks again, Ben, for joining the HitCast. Ben's new venture is Cautionary Comics, delivering comic books the way they're meant to be. Pure fun, pure escapism. I love it. You can sign up at offworldercomic.com. Enter your email to win some special surprises. There'll be links to all of this on the show notes page at hollywoodintoto.com. Ben, it's so nice to talk to you, and I really want to check in again maybe in a year or two when you've got some more stuff to share. I love it. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. Time for a snack? 
Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure.